Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. My name is Eric Skorzynski. I'm Travis Chappell's producer. And on today's episode, we're sitting down with some incredible authors, journalists, and other writers to talk about how you can become an incredible author and take your writing skills to the next level. On this show, we have Ben Hardy, one of Medium's top bloggers. Uh, we've got Jason Pfeiffer and Jennifer Miller, who are authors. They're a total power couple. Uh, they've written several novels. Jason's a journalist, editor, and author of several well-known publications, websites, and books. And, of course, we have the incredible Max Lugavere, who is a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and New York Times bestselling author of Genius Foods. You may have caught him on shows like Dr. Oz and The Doctors. Uh, it's just an incredible lineup we have here. So if you are an author, if you're somebody who wants to level up your skills in the area of writing, you need to listen to this entire episode. Don't miss one second. And if something is of value to you, be sure to take a screenshot and tag Travis Chapel with the handle at Travis Chappell. It's that easy. Enjoy the show. 
just because you're spending money doesn't mean you're going to get results. So make sure that you're spending money in a way that's going to really benefit you and that you're implementing the things that you spend money on learning and you're cultivating the relationships that you spend money to create initially. Just spending the money isn't going to get you the results. But if you spend the money, you learn the things that you need to learn. It's going to cut your runway in half. You're going to skip rungs on the ladder, so to speak. And there's a lot of different ways to make sure that that happens. So Ben, I want to ask you this question to kind of get the conversation a little bit further along this way. And this is one that I ask just about every guest that comes on the show. Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? I think it's really both. I think obviously you need to know the right people to get the right leverage. But if you don't know how to contribute to those relationships Mm -hmm. in the right way, then those relationships aren't going to get you that much distance. And so you really need both. Like Cal Newport, he talks about in his book, so good they can't ignore you, hmm. the importance of developing rare and valuable skills. Yeah. You know, And so you develop rare and valuable skills, and usually you have to do that, whether that be through mentoring or just learning in some form or fashion and practicing trial and error. Then when you do invest in relationships or develop mentorships or masterminds, whatever you're going to do, you know, what I've found is because I'm in, you know, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point on mentorships and mastermind groups is most people don't know how to successfully navigate that world. They invest, you know, a lot of money into a mentorship or something and they immediately want something out. Mm -hmm. And that's not how you do it. You have to obviously have something enormous to contribute to that relationship or the relationship's not going to be powerful. Like there's the book Give and Take from Adam Grant, you know, and I think a lot of people when they invest in a relationship, they immediately become takers because they've given an amount of money that they think that they can then be a taker. It's like, no, Right. right. You invest in a relationship and then you stay a giver. It's like you pay someone money and then you help them with your rare and valuable skills that you've developed. (laughs) And if you do that, if you pay someone money to get their help and you go over the top to help them, then it's just like that's where all the doors open up. And so I think it's both. I mean, but if you don't have anything to contribute or if you have the wrong mindset and if you're trying to be a taker, then it doesn't matter how much money you pay to get into a network. If you're just trying to be a taker and you don't have... You know, if you haven't developed the rare skills and abilities to totally contribute, mm-hmm. you're not going to be successful. But if you've got amazing skills and you are a super abundant giver to the right people within that network, then that's when stuff just flies. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said there. Doing what Ben just said is what's going to differentiate you from the hundreds of other people that are trying to get the attention, especially of somebody that is worth getting mentorship from. So quick story on that. And I know that some people listening to this have heard me tell this story before, so I'll keep it kind of short. But exactly what you just said, Ben, is exactly what I did. One of my mentors, John Lee Dumas, who's you know one of the top business podcasters out there. When I first started getting into podcasting, I was like, hey, I want to go learn from the best. And so I ended up going out to a mastermind at his house and Puerto Rico. And it was not cheap. It was about 6,500 bucks just for the mastermind plus plane ticket and stuff, food, all that kind of stuff while you're out there. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. About 8,000 bucks that it set me back. And it took me a couple of weeks to make the decision. But what I tell people is like the one mental shift that I think really allowed me to cultivate a real friendship and good mentoring relationship with the guy is that when I went out there, I wasn't thinking, how can I make this worth my money? It was a good amount of money for me at the time. That was not a small totally. amount of money to drop. You That's know? a great so, amount of money. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking, my first initial thought was, I better get something out of this. But then I caught myself thinking that and I switched it to, how can I give something to John Lee Dumas? Somebody that already has way more connections than I do. Somebody that already has way more money than I do. How do I help out that person? And so throughout the course of the weekend, I found a way to do it. And I ended up working a couple booths for him. I have a lot of experience in door-to-door sales and retail sales and stuff like that. And so he had a booth coming 
coming up. He wanted to sell some of his journals and he was looking for somebody to help manage that booth and run it for them and sell journals for them. And so I just volunteered and I said, Hey man, I'll do it for you. I paid for my own hotel. I went over there. I worked for him totally for free, sold a bunch of stuff for him. He ended up inviting me to another conference he was going to called Thrive, which is what Cole Hatter puts on. And then over there, I met a bunch of people at that event. John Lee Dumas then introduced me to Cole and now I'm in Cole's mastermind and Cole has introduced me to a lot of people. But the one mindset shift that I can go back to is that how can I help this person, even though I just paid them $6,500, how can I contribute to them to make it to where it's an actual relationship, not just like a, Hey, I paid money to go to your house one time. So now when John introduces me to people, bro, it's like, he's no longer saying, Oh, Hey, this is Travis. He paid to come to my mastermind at my house. It's like, Hey, this is my friend, Travis, which is a much more powerful powerful introduction when he introduces me to some of the people that he knows. But yeah, love what you're saying on that, bro. So much good stuff from that. So with this being such an important aspect of life with mentorship, relationships, masterminds, all that stuff being so important, why do you think, Ben, that so many people just don't do it? A lot of it's the same emotional baggage you were going into before, you know, a lot of people just don't understand it. You know, it's like when you spend, for example, 50, you know, or even $10,000, to have a relationship like most people that just doesn't make sense and so they'd rather stick it in the stock market or something like that it is a psychological (laughs) yeah yeah it's a psychological leap it doesn't make sense for most people until you've actually started to do it your story is phenomenal i mean i'd be really interested to hear how many people were there so how many people paid to be at that it was that event yeah it was me and four other people okay okay Mm, interesting okay so that's smaller than i expected but i mean yeah, you'd think, though, that even with those people, the orientation of most would be like, what can John Lee Dumas do for me? Right. You know, that's obviously you were there because you wanted to advance yourself, but you shifted your perspective and you, you started giving. And I'm guessing that you probably gave more than the other people did. Who knows? You know, maybe everyone else there was onto that same principle. But yeah, I mean, why do I think people don't do it? First off, a lot of people are pretty unclear on where they want to go. And once you get clear then you kind of have to realize that it really is people. Once you know what you want and you know the skills you need to develop, then you need the right relationships to get there. Investing small amounts in education or access at the beginning, like you said, it, it just speeds the process. Right. And so I think a lot of it is how big do you want to play? And if you want to play in the big world, you have to take kind of what would be considered financial risks, you mm-hmm. know? Like it's yep. risky to invest $8,000 to take a one-day trip or a two-day trip down to meet someone. And then you've got to be smart in that situation and not get in your own way. And you've got to think about how you can be a contributor. And then that opens up the next door, which was the right door, Yeah, which we you said going to thrive. Like you wouldn't have ever had that second opportunity had you not first off invested and then taken advantage of that opportunity by being a giver. And so I don't know. I think it's just having vision. That long term. You know? Yeah. Well, and it's also just thinking like, yeah, I mean, you have to have long term vision, but also it's just like, If you really, really want something, it kind of reminds me of the quote, when the why is strong enough, you'll figure out how. And the how is usually going to be best served through relationships for sure. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And then you said something earlier too, that's literally like my mantra. I have it pasted up on my wall in my office. And that's the book that you were talking about, which stems from, I think from the Steve Martin quote, which is be so good, they can't ignore you. You know, I think one of the only ways to be so good is to get around people who are also really good because that is going to rub off on you. I just always find that when you spend time with people who are exponentially better than you, you get exponentially better at whatever it is that you're doing. So like if me and a friend are the same, I played a lot of basketball growing up, some of these basketball is an analogy. So if me and a friend are the same skill level of basketball and we go to the gym every day and we work together, 
together on it. We will get better because we're putting in the work. But if I go to the gym with LeBron James and I work on my game with him, my game is going to shoot through the roof way faster than it would if I was going to the gym with my buddy that's on the same skill level as I am. So kind of an exaggerated example there, but I think it really puts across the point that when you spend time with people that are just on a completely different level than you are, you start skipping levels and you start hitting those levels a lot faster than you would if you just tried to figure it out yourself. And in the end, I think the bottom line is our only real asset is time. You know, like you can make money back. You can't get time back. So if I can ever spend a good amount of money to save myself a lot of time, I'm probably going to do it if I can make it happen. I think that's exactly what you did, which is what allowed you to become the number one writer on Medium and get into some of these different circles and stuff. So talk to me about masterminds and stuff. I know that that's kind of the way that you and I got introduced is a mutual friend of ours, Steve Sims, who was on the show from Blue Fishing, is made an intro because you guys are in a mastermind together. So I know that you still do a lot of that stuff. Can you talk into that for a second? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just to kind of reiterate everything you're saying. So, I mean, the book that I'm coming out with, it's called Willpower Doesn't Work because willpower is the product of being in a, like two things, either you don't know what you want or your environment opposes your goal. And what most psychologists say is that almost all of our behavior is outsourced to our environment. Like on an airplane, you're not going to smoke a cigarette. Like the environment just doesn't allow for that. And so going along with all this and kind of just one more thought on what you said, like yeah, you could practice with your friend or you can go practice with LeBron James. It's not effort enough. A lot of people are putting towards effort toward their goals yeah. and not making mm-hmm. a lot of progress. And they may even be putting quality effort in, right. but quality versus adapting to a really high level of environment is different. If you're practicing with LeBron, you're going to have to force, you know, so in the book, The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin, but what he talks about is a concept you've just described. It's called investing in failure. So like when you play LeBron James, you're not playing to win. (laughs) When you play with your friend, you are playing to win. Right. If you invest in failure, which means you're playing against people who are way better than you, you're going to fail faster and you're going to learn quicker. Winning is rarely the path to learning, at least in the beginning. As far as mastermind groups, I'm involved in multiple you know, at this point, lucky enough to speak at a lot of them. But me and Steve are in Genius Network together, which is Joe Polish's mastermind group. And I'm also in Joe Polish's 100K group. You know, the reason I joined these groups is exactly what we're talking about. Like it's the psychological upgrade. Yeah. Your subconscious will only allow you to have what you believe you deserve. And so when you invest in yourself, not only do you shatter your unconscious belief system, but you create access to a lot better belief systems. So it's not for me, I know, and I've actually written articles about this, about how it's not what you get back. When you put yourself in those type of communities, it's about collaborations and the ideation and about, you know, your brain literally changes in those situations and you get the insights and the ahas and you learn to serve at a much higher level. Hmm. And so for me, it's about the transformation, not about what I can get back, because when I transform myself, which happens usually from the outside in, you know, it's when you put yourself in that environment, that that environment changes you. So when you have that internal transformation, then you can do a lot more than you could have done before. And so for me, you know, and that's really what the whole book is about, is about how in Western culture, we're so individualistic that we think it's all about the individual when really, in a lot of ways, it's about how the environment shapes the individual and that the individual's smartest decisions is to put themselves in environments that transform them. Yeah. That's really what the whole book's about. I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, I knew that your book was about networking, but this is, I mean, to me, this is like, if you haven't done it yet, you need to do it. Right. The first time I ever paid money 
to have a conversation with someone was, it was like in 2016 at the beginning of the year, I had like 10,000 email subscribers and I wanted to learn from Jeff Goins, you know, and he's a cool writer. Mm -hmm. And so he was in the middle of a book launch and in order to get to know him, well, so he, as part of a book launch, he was saying, if you buy 20 books off Amazon, he'll have a 30 minute conversation with you, for example. Mm -hmm. And that was like 230 bucks, but it got me a 30 minute phone call with him. And that's direct access. I mean, Jeff and I are buddies now at this point, but like those type of things, just getting access in small ways is the starting point. And then all of a sudden you pay for mentorship or, or whatnot. So yeah, it's, it's totally smart. And for me, it leads to 10 X upgrades every time. But I mean, I think that there's so much substance to that because I, you know, I was just having this conversation with my wife yesterday, I think it's unbelievable to me how often that holds people back from pursuing what they want to do. They think that they have to have all the knowledge, that they have to have three different degrees in this certain field before they can try to take some action and pursue what they want to actually accomplish. And uh, I think that a common denominator with a lot of the people that I've had on the show, including you guys from what it sounds like, is you just like get into it and you take action and then you figure it out. You jump into it and then you go, okay, what did I do wrong last time? How did that blow up in my face? How can I avoid that this next time? And then every time you do it, it gets better and better and better and better and better. So it's fascinating that that's how you started in your journey as well, Jason, like coming from just jumping into the high school magazine and being like, hey, what do I do here? Like you said, no advisors. There wasn't a faculty member that's helping you through the process. It's just like, this sounds interesting. Let's figure it out. And uh, it seems to have worked out fairly well for you. So um, coming out of high school, going into college, what were you studying? And then what did you do right afterwards? Yeah, that, that's totally right. It, you have to create those opportunities to fail and work towards your first failure. Like that's where you really discover what you're made of is once you work towards your first failure. And but I'll answer your question, but first, just to kind of continue the thing that, yeah, that you know, what, sure. what Jen was saying was like, you know, we had to, in making all the mistakes that we made in this book, like we, we also worked towards a first failure, right? Which was sending it around to a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of agents and everyone's saying no. And, and then I was having to like sit back and, and rethink a whole bunch of stuff to get it to the yes. Like mm-hmm. that's, you have to go into something knowing that it's not going to work the first time and you don't actually know what the end point of the failure is. So you have to just keep going until you actually get to the success. So what did I do? I mean, well, after I graduated college, I got into, um, Janet alluded to it, I got into community newspapers because I had at that point determined that I wanted to get into journalism I had absolutely no connections. I did not want to get into community journalism, but I saw no other avenue. There was no other avenue, right? Mm. And what there was were local Massachusetts newspapers, which is where I was at the time because I went to college in Massachusetts. And they were hiring community newspaper reporter for $20,000 a year. And I took one of those jobs at the Gardner News. And it was uh, dreadfully boring. Uh, it, was, you know, it was like just writing about nothing for nobody. And I, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was ego and soul bruising. But now that I look back upon it, I can say, one, I learned a lot, like things that I have built upon today, even today, that started back in that experience. But two, I really thought of myself as better than that place. And that showed. I definitely was not a popular person in the newsroom. <laughs> because I, you know, here everybody's in the same place, everybody's working for the same place, but you got this one jerk who seems to think that he's a lot better than it. But you know what? He's not, because if he was, he'd be somewhere else instead of here. Right? So and I wasn't, I just didn't have that. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. 
It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode of the Build Your Network podcast will be back in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job descriptions, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. I personally love Indeed. It makes it easy to hire great talent, and according to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. That's right, worldwide. Wide. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash network. The offer is valid through March 31st. So what are you waiting for? Go to indeed.com slash network and claim $75 in free credit before March 31st. That's indeed.com slash network. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode of the Build Your Network podcast is brought to you by Gusto, the all-in-one HR for growing businesses. You can get everything you need to hire, pay, manage, and support your hardworking team in one intuitive platform. You can automatically file and pay all state, local, and federal payroll taxes, do simple time tracking, time off requests, and more, and have access to a wide range of health and financial benefits. 
and direct access to certified HR experts. That's just a few of the amazing tools that you get with Gusto. And right now, you can get three months free when you run your first payroll. All you have to do is use the URL gusto.com slash Travis. That's G-U-S-T-O dot com slash Travis. All right, let's get back to the show. I just didn't have that level of awareness. So I, I like if I had to do it over again, I would not be such a, I would not be so so self-righteous. But at the same time, I did push myself to quit that job because I felt like I could do other things. And quitting that job and then sitting in my bedroom for nine months and pitching, cold pitching out into the world and getting a story in the Washington Post and the Boston Globe and Associated Press, like those kinds, that really was what moved my career forward. So, so I, you know, I like to think of it as, now it's a what I advise uh, people in, in a situation like that is to balance and not just that situation any situation is to balance patience with impatience right I'm like I, I had to be patient enough to understand that all the things that I wanted were not going to come to me immediately mm-hmm. but also hold on to that impatience because the impatience is the thing that will propel you forward that will make you take the risks that will allow you to leap you know take multiple leaps I mean had I had I not pushed myself the pathway was really tiny paper, somewhat larger paper, somewhat larger paper, somewhat larger, right? And we could have done that until now, right? Where I right, would be in right. some size paper somewhere. And I am very, very glad that I pushed myself to skip all those steps. Yeah, totally, totally. So there was never a point during that time when you were like, oh my gosh, this is so boring. Did I choose the wrong career path? It was mainly like, no, I know I'm in the right career path. I just got to like find a different vehicle. Yeah, well, right. I knew that I liked the fundamentals of what it was that I was involved in. Okay. I knew that I liked writing and reporting and being involved in the production of a publication. Okay. But I was definitely figuring out what I was good at, right? Was I a good news reporter? Was I a good breaking news reporter? Was I a features writer? Did I want to be a columnist? I tried out all these identities and all these different kind of styles. And I was very much trying to figure out what I was good at and then where I could best to do the thing that I was good at. So I knew I was in the, you know, I felt like I knew I was in the right country, but I didn't know what state I was supposed to be. Curious to know when along this path you decided to really tackle the health space because it seemed like up to, I mean, you, you said you always had an interest in health, but up to this point didn't seem to be paramount or a priority. Yeah. I mean, it was a personal priority for sure. I mean, I've, I've always sort of been just in my own life, a tinkerer, and I've always been interested in fitness and nutrition and mm-hmm. always sort of integrating my learnings on the side into my own life. And also, I, I noticed this pattern that throughout college and even in, in my later high school years that people would ask me like health and fitness related questions. And I was not a jock or anything like that. It's not like I was walking around with like a six pack or anything at the time. But I definitely, I feel like whenever I would talk about health and nutrition, it was one of the few topics actually in my life where when I would talk, people would listen. I feel like I had this sort of intuition about it. Whereas if you were to sit me at a table and have me talk about politics or sports or world history or anything like that, it's just not an area where I can speak to an intelligent degree, whereas health and nutrition, it's just always a topic that I was researching. And from a very young age, I mean, from middle high school, I was interested in ketogenic diets and, you know, I was supplementing with creatine and digging into the primary literature. So, but when did it become a... a And and these, and and to put in context too, this was like, I mean, when you're saying high school, this is what, mid, mid nineties, mid to mid to late nineties, late nineties. Yeah. Like like, 1998. So a lot of these things like ketogenic diets and things like were not buzzwords or hot topics back then. 
Definitely not. Definitely not. No, I was in um, like, I think they were called news groups. Like they were the earliest forms of, of message boards on the internet. And I was really interested in bodybuilding and really getting like a science-based perspective on hypertrophy and like how to maximize anabolism, which is like muscle muscular gain in the gym. And that, these are all the kinds of topics that I was like really kind of nerding out about when I was in high school. And again, super early adopter for this. You know, nobody nobody right. was publicly talking about any of these topics. And, you know, I'm not going to say that that replaces academic training in the topic, but the purpose is to show that, you know, this is a topic that I've been long immersed in and had sort of a foundational knowledge of. And then when I left my job at Current TV in 2011, it was at that time in my personal life that my mother had fallen ill. She basically started to display the earliest symptoms of what would eventually be diagnosed as a form of dementia. And at that time, I was sort of between jobs. So I had the ability to spend more time with her in New York City. I was living in LA for the TV gig. But finally, I was able to spend more time with her. And when she was finally diagnosed with a neurodegenerative condition at the Cleveland Clinic, I was with her. At that point, I decided that the only thing that really mattered to me from then on out was trying to figure out why this would have happened to my mom. What, if anything, could be done to help her from a nutritional or or lifestyle standpoint. And in tandem with that, what could be done to prevent it from happening to myself? So that's actually where all of the skills that I had harnessed on current TV as a journalist, as a, as a quasi-public figure, um, media personality, all sort of came to use because in any chance I could get. But then at a certain point, I realized that I could exploit the credentials that I had as a journalist. And I started reaching out to scientists and researchers all around the world to get an even closer look at the science, if you will. It's amazing how experiences like that can really shift what's important to us in life and what path we eventually go down. Do you think, Max, having experienced something like that, that really forced you to kind of head more in the direction that you've ended up going down. Do you think that there's a way to manufacture those types of things? Or do you think that it, it's it's just something that we just are kind of at the will of what life does or what life happens to us? I find that a lot of people lack the motivation to go after what they desire unless something traumatic happens or they experience something that tells them different. That's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you have to, I feel like people generally are not motivated, especially when it comes to health and wellness related topics until something bad happens. And that's kind of unfortunate because in many cases, when something bad happens, it's like already late in the game, right? But yeah, I mean, I think, I think if you've found what it is that you're passionate about, there are certainly steps that I've taken over the course of my journey to get to where I am today that are reproducible. I didn't come from a, an academic background, as you know. I didn't you know, go through medical school. But at the same time, I've been able to learn a tremendous amount about health and nutrition and the brain. I've been able to learn so much about nutrition, in fact, that I've been called in to teach doctors about the topic. So I think that once you're able to find what it is that you're passionate about, and you know, I know that that's a journey for many people. And sometimes it's a process of elimination as well. Yeah, you know, I've, right, I've always had right. many passions. I've always had many passions, but it wasn't until my mom got sick that I realized that none of the other things that I was passionate about really oh, how can I say it? I mean, you know, they they kind of it's not that they it's don't like ma- pale they in comparison. Yeah. I mean, they still matter. I'm still passionate about all the things that I was passionate about before, but I'm like obsessed with health and nutrition. 
Yeah, yeah. I think there's a difference between like being knowledgeable about something and being passionate about something. Yeah. You know, this is something that I talk to. Uh, so I'm, I'm a podcast coach and consultant. And this is something I talk to a lot of my clients about is when you're interviewing people to search for the passion points, because a lot of people, especially someone like you, like you can talk intelligently on a number of different topics. There's a lot of things that you and I could go down and talk about in this interview. But clearly the thing that you are most passionate about, the thing that fires you up the most is nutrition and being able really to take control back into our hands of how our lives end up through nutrition. So I want to kind of get into that a little bit of that conversation at this point. So moving into this sort of career path that you ended up going down, talk to me about the the book writing process and how uh, the, the Genius Foods first came about. Yeah. I mean, I never ha- would have thought that I would have uh, written a book, let alone a book that's gone on to become as successful as Genius Foods has. But really what it came down to is the fact that at a certain point, I had amassed enough information and education on the topic of nutrition and dementia prevention and nutritional psychiatry that I felt like I could write the ultimate tome, the ultimate care manual to the human brain, and that I would be able to write it in a way that was going to inherently be more appealing to younger people, you know, a demographic that I felt could benefit perhaps most from the kind of information that I had to offer. So I wrote a book proposal and I remember pitching it out to four different publishers in New York City and I got rejections from three of them. And one of them gave me the green light. One of them made an offer and uh, I wrote the book. I labored over it for, I made it my full-time job actually for a year Hmm. to write the initial draft of the manuscript and then you have another like year of editing after that. How were you able to do that? Just out of curiosity. Like savings or like what, what, what at that point was, was bringing in income? I mean, I had some savings and I still had some residual cachet, I guess you could say, from my prior TV work. So I had a few speaking gigs. But one of the most crucial things that I did to make it all possible was I cut my living expenses dramatically. I moved from Los Angeles, where I was living prior to the book deal, back to New York City. For some of the time, I had actually moved in with my mom, although that wasn't a decision necessarily to cost. It was mostly to be closer to my mom, but I did, it did cut costs dramatically for me. And yeah, I just kind of lived a more lean lifestyle as I undertook the book writing process. And even the, the advance that I had gotten for the book, I mean, it was not a huge advance by any means. And in fact, I ended up investing half of it into like the PR I want to really hammer this point home on the living lean thing, because that's something that I do that I, I just see so many people not doing that I think is such a huge mistake. They, they put so much added and unneeded pressure on themselves to perform in these big projects that they're undertaking because they have to cover like $10,000, $15,000 a month in expenses that they literally just don't need to have just because they're trying to keep up with the Joneses and impress people. So I love that you brought this up because something that I'm really big on, you had enough self-awareness to understand that this book project was something that you really thought was going to help you move in the direction that you wanted to go. So instead of making up an excuse of why you couldn't take the time to work on the book efficiently, you decided to take a year off, cut your expenses, live super lean, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable or backtrack a little bit in terms of what society would say you should be progressing forward and go after the thing that you really wanted to go after. And I I get this from people all the time that are just like, well, I can't do that now because I have this going on and this going on, this going on. And really all that tells me is like, well, you just don't want it bad enough. If you wanted it bad enough, you would do this and this and this to make sure that you had room to make that goal or dream 
happen. So really want to acknowledge you for doing that and recognizing that and for bringing it up because it's something that I don't talk about enough, but I'm really passionate or I really believe in. And then now let's kind of move into the vehicle conversation because this one's really big. A lot of people, what a lot of people don't understand about books and I've never written a published book myself. So I'm just going off of all my friends who have. What a lot of people don't understand is that deal with a publisher does not guarantee a successful book. So can you talk about how that process went for you and how you help the publisher sell more copies of your book? And yeah, success. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's true. Publishers, the book market these days is one such in that publishers have to basically take a bunch of different risks. And one out of every, I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm not a publisher, but one out of every 50 books, I'm sure, um, stick and become that perennial bestseller, right? So they've got to make a bunch of different investments, keep a, a diversified portfolio in authors. And then one is going to end up becoming like, the home run. So my book was one of those where all the signs were there that it could be a book that sold a few copies. You know, I was I didn't have a large Instagram following at all. So if you're wondering whether or not you need to be an influencer on on social media, you don't. I didn't have a, an Instagram following of any um, significance. But at the time, I was doing TV. So I was on the Dr. Oz show pretty regularly at that point. And I was doing another show called The Doctors with some regularity. And so they also, I think, saw in me that I was the perfect storyteller for this topic. You know, I was the mm. perfect journeyman to bring audiences along to learn about how nutrition can help improve the way that your brain works and to help procure uh, long-term brain health. So I was the right person for the job. They felt that. And so they, they gave me, they took a shot. But at the end of the day, because it's a numbers game for these publishers, they've got, they're releasing at any given month, a number of different books. And so for you to assume that they're going to come out and like all guns blazing, put all of their efforts behind your book when they've got all these other books that they've invested just as much money into, that's not going to be the case. So I realized that this was like a once in a lifetime, literally a once in a lifetime shot. You know, you release your first book once. And if it doesn't go well, there's probably no uh, second book. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, like you would, you would think that your chances are definitely diminished, right? If it doesn't go well, you're probably not going to write a second book. That being said, it's rare. It's very rare that first time authors become bestsellers. But yeah, I mean, I did realize that I thought that if there was any sanity in the universe, that this book was going to do well, because I really put my, you know, I put blood, sweat and tears into it. It was motivated by something very pure. For example, I know that many people write books these days to kind of serve as like funnels to their business. I did not do that. I wrote my book with the sole intention of putting out the best possible information into the world that I could and doing it in a compelling way. So there was no ulterior motive there. So I knew that I, I knew that I had labored over the book and that my intentions were pure, that it was a good book, and that there was no other book on the topic in the same style as my book available to people. And that by it becoming a bestseller, it could do a world of good for people's health all around the world. And so I believed in it so strongly and I, I worked on it so hard and night and day that the idea of investing money into the project, but ultimately myself, was a no-brainer. You know, I had to because it was this once-in-a-lifetime shot, and I would have regretted not doing so. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there, and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 